Well, let me encourage you, if you will, now to go ahead and grab your Bible or grab a copy of the Bible, God's Word. This all throughout this room in the seat backs. If you need one, pull up the Bible app on your phone, just wherever you can access your Bible. We want to encourage you to see for yourself what the Word of God is saying as we walk through this time. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you're new to Bible study, that's right near the end of the story. It's, it's right near the end of the New Testament. If you go all the way to the right in your Bible, you're going to be able to, to more quickly find 1 Peter. And, and we're in chapter 3, specifically beginning verse 8 today. And I want you to know if you're, if you're new to Shades, we are so grateful that you are here. We, we want you to, to, to know that we are walking through this book of 1 Peter very methodically, verse by verse. We've been, we've been spending a lot of time in 1 Peter this year. And for the rest of the fall, this is where we're going to be spending our time. So we want you to have an idea of kind of where we've been and where we're going. We also want you to know, if you're new to Shades, that we are in the midst of a 21-day prayer focus. And we do this twice a year at Shades at the start of a new semester. And so we're entering into week three of 21 days of prayer. And I just wanna, I wanna thank each of you who have, been, who have been praying through the prayer guide. I wanna thank those of you who have been coming to the early morning prayer times. It has been such a gift to me personally. And I've heard from many of you, I know it's been a gift to many. And there are, there are prayers being answered there. There are cries going out to the Lord. The Lord is working in the midst of his people in powerful ways. And so as we enter into this final week, I just want to encourage you, even if you're picking this up for the first time, join us in this prayer focus. Join us specifically in praying that God would show you what, what he, he wants you to see and then would give you the faith to do something about what he reveals. That's, that's what I've been praying here in this 21-day prayer focus. We'll, we'll be Monday through Friday having our morning prayer time in the conference center, which is at the top of the hill uh, here in our building at 6.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. But if you can't join us in the morning, join us in praying that God would show us what he wants us to see. Now, we're going to step into God's Word. We're going to get right into it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And I know you were just seated, and I know you're just getting comfortable. And actually, there's still some folks that are coming in. So as you stand with me to read God's Word, if you've got space to kind of move in, go ahead and move in so that if anybody needs to join you on your row, they're able to do that without jumping all over you. So stand up, if you will, and let's read God's Word together. This is something we do each week here here at Shades, as we step into a sermon or a message, we stand for the reading of God's Word. And the reason we do this is because we want to be reminded every time we turn to God's Word together that the Word of God is our foundation. We are standing on the Word of God. We are standing on a solid rock. We are standing on what God says is right and good and true. What is inerrant without error or flaw. What is infallible, perfectly reliable and true. This is God's Word. It does not change. It is the same yesterday, today and forever. It still speaks into our lives today. So let's look at what the Word of the, of the Lord says and then I'm going to pray that God would use this in our lives and we'll be seated. So let me read this. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. 
For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue away from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. And we want to pray and invite God to speak into all of our stories and all of our circumstances and all of our lives. So let's do that right now. Let's, let's believe in faith that God has something that he wants us to hear as we pray. Father God, we stand before you, turning our attention to your word, acknowledging how much we need to hear truth in a world, in a culture that is, is constantly inundating us with so many different things that we're told we're supposed to believe. Lord, we need to hear truth. And Father, as the creator of all things, as the divine authority over all, as the one who knows all, we look to you needing to hear from you what you say is true. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for revealing to us through your word what we need to hear that is true. I pray, Lord God, that our ears would be attentive, that our hearts would be receptive, and even as this text has said, that our minds would be humble as we listen to what you say through your word. Help us to see. Help us to see clearly, Lord. And then give us the faith to follow as you lead. Thank you for this time. And thank you for each and every one who are joining us today. We pray that you would have your way among us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. I will tell you in these verses, in my time of preparation for this sermon, there, there was one specific statement that Peter makes. It's in verse nine. We're going to talk about this and unpack it at some length, but it really, really captured my attention. It really challenged me to, to think about the implications in my own life. And before I even lay that out to you, though, I, I, I was thinking about an illustration that I hope might, might help this come to light a little bit more. Megan and I have had the privilege on several different occasions to go to Israel, to the Holy Land. We're going to be going back next year. We're excited about that trip. It's just a gift to be able to walk where Jesus walked and to, to study the Bible in the, in the places where, where it actually took place. And, and it's just an amazing faith-enriching experience. But when we go to the Holy Land, we, we have the opportunity on one of the days to visit one of the most fascinating and unique places that you can see really throughout the whole earth. It's called the Dead Sea. You heard about the Dead Sea? Some of you I know have been to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a fascinating place. It is so unique. The Dead Sea has been called the, the lowest place on earth. In fact, the, the shores of the Dead Sea are, are over 1,400 feet below sea level in the middle of the desert. The Dead Sea is almost 10 times as salty as the ocean. It's, it's so salty that when you go to the Dead Sea and get into the Dead Sea, which we do, 
you float on top of the water. And it has nothing to do with your body mass or anything like that. Everyone floats on top of the water at the Dead Sea. It's, it's a strange experience. And, and the minerals of the soil in the Dead Sea, because of that salt content, they're so rich. In fact, they, they send the mud and the minerals from the Dead Sea all around the world for beauty products, for lotions, for, for, for oils, for all kinds of different things. But here's what's so fascinating to me about the Dead Sea. The main body of water that flows into the Dead Sea is a river called the Jordan River. You probably have heard about the Jordan River. It has incredible, incredible riches attached to the Jordan River. And I'm talking both spiritually and even physically. The, the Jordan River is this, this beautiful, fresh flowing river that, that covers uh, around 200 miles through the nation of Israel in the middle of the desert. And, and the Jordan River is, is so rich with life and vitality that, that, that the irrigation throughout the majority of the land of Israel comes out of the Jordan River providing the water that is needed for, for all the agricultural that, that takes place in, in Israel. It's, it's really an amazing thing to witness. When you go to the Jordan River, you see life, you see flourishing, you see green, you, you see beautiful ag land. It's really fascinating because it's in the middle of the desert. Not only that, the Jordan River, it's, it's where Jesus was baptized. It's where John the Baptist did much of his ministry. It's where Jesus walked with his disciples. There, there is all kind of incredible biblical implications attached to the Jordan River. It's this, this amazing, rich body of water in significance and in resource. And it flows into the Dead Sea with all of that life and vitality of the Jordan River. But because there's nothing that flows out of the Dead Sea, Everything that was living in the Jordan River is dead in the Dead Sea. Because there's, there's no exit, it all gets trapped. Everything in the Dead Sea is dead. There's no plant life at the Dead Sea. There's no animal life or marine life at the Dead Sea. Nothing can survive at the Dead Sea. And again, this amazing body of water, this amazing body of life that is the Jordan River is flowing in. And because nothing's flowing out, everything is dead. I was thinking about that this week in relationship to the text we are looking at in 1 Peter 3. And I came across a quote from Pastor Tony Evans that I, I want to read before we look back at, at 1 Peter 3. Tony Evans says this, Indeed, in God's economy, you will be more blessed if you are a spiritual conduit rather than a spiritual cul-de-sac. God wants to work through you so that you will be a blessing to others. I, if you don't hear anything else at all, Please hear this. God wants to work through you so that you will be a blessing to others. If you have the capacity to address the need, Evans writes, be used by God to give to and to meet that need. God will return the favor. Peter is telling us in 1 Peter chapter 3, there is a calling on the people of God. 
The calling on the people of God, according to these verses we are considering here this morning, is to go and be a blessing. The people of God are to be a blessing. God wants to use your life to be a blessing to others. Please make no mistake about it. This is incredibly good news. The Christian life is a life that is all about blessing. Track with me if you can. Those who are in Christ have received blessing upon blessing upon blessing through the perfect sinless life of Jesus Christ, through the perfect sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, through the perfect powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the ascension of Christ to be seated on the throne as the one who is reigning and ruling over all at the right hand of the Father. Those who are in Christ have received blessing Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And because of the finished work of Christ and the power of the resurrection, those who are in Christ, they've been forgiven of their sin. They've been called a child of God. They've been brought out of death into life. They've been called a new creation. They are covered in the grace and the mercy of God. And the word of God tells us that every every day there is new morning mercies for those who are in Christ. That means every day you have been given the grace and mercy that you need for this day. The blessings abound for those who are in Christ. So let me ask you, why does God bless his children? Why does God bless his people? Why does God bless those who are in Christ? Why does the perfect father delight in giving good gifts to his children? The word of God says every good and perfect gift comes from above. I want to give you two specific reasons. This is so important. And this is where we're going in this text. Two specific reasons why God loves to pour out his blessings on his children, on his church, on his people. Number one simply is this, so that we would enjoy what God has done. Please hear this. God blesses his children so that his children would enjoy the blessings they have received at the hand of God. Why do I say that? Because God is passionate about God's glory. And God is passionate about the worship of his people being lifted up to him as the one who is worthy of it all. So he blesses his people. He blesses his children, his family, so that his children would be grateful, growing in gratitude and would worship in response to what God has done and what God has given. The people of God are to be the most grateful people in the world. The Bible says, live as an act of worship. Do everything that you do as unto the Lord. Live in gratitude for what he has done. The people of God are to be the most joy-filled people. Why? Because we have been blessed so much. God has given us so much to be grateful for. His blessings abound. But in addition to enjoying God's blessings, 
This is so incredibly important. This is where the text is taking us today. God blesses his people so that his people would be a blessing to others. The blessings of God are given to us to enjoy. That leads to worship and to share. That leads to mission. To be a people who love what God has done so much that we can't keep it to ourselves. This is why when we say our mission statement, I just get so fired up. Our mission statement here at Shades is, is this statement. It's leveraging who we are and what we've been given for the sake of the gospel, wherever we are and wherever God takes us. We say this is the call to live sin. It's the reminder. We don't just, we don't just stay put. We don't just keep all this to ourselves. No, we go into the world with this incredible gift of what we have been given. Our God has blessed us. And so we want to take these blessings. We want to leverage who we are in the blessing of God, leverage what we've been given through the blessing of God and, and share it wherever we are and wherever God takes us. The blessings of God have been given to us to enjoy so that we worship and bring glory to God, the, the giver of good gifts, the one who is the blesser, and to share because what has been given to us is too good to keep to ourselves. You can think, think about it this way. I wrote this down in my notes this week. All of my story is to be for his glory. And all of his blessings to me are to be his blessings through me. It's a simple way to think about this. All of my story, what God has done, what God has given me, it's to be for his glory because I enjoy his blessings. I worship him for what he has given me and his blessings to me are to be his blessings through me so that others can see and hear the good news of what God has done. We're to be a spiritual conduit, not a spiritual cul-de-sac. We're to let the blessings of God flow through us, not stop and die with us like the Dead Sea. I just wonder, and this is purely speculation, I want you to know that right up front, purely speculation, but we know that the Apostle Peter was one of the original disciples walking with Jesus. He, he witnessed the ministry of Jesus. He saw the miracles of Jesus. He heard the teachings of Jesus, firsthand account. He was, he was one of Jesus' go-to guys. I mean, in the close inner circle of Jesus in his three years of public ministry, you would find Peter. So Peter got to experience some things that, that we can only imagine and, and it must have been incredible what he saw and what he heard. But I just wonder if maybe as Peter is writing this statement to the church, 1 Peter 3, 9, about, about being a blessing because this is your calling. If maybe his mind went back to one of those encounters he saw between Jesus and someone else. I wonder, I wonder if maybe he thought about someone that we simply know of as the rich young ruler. You can find this story in the gospel accounts of, of Jesus' ministry. I, I want to turn our attention specifically to Mark chapter 10, and then we'll come right back to 1 Peter 3. But this is one of those stories that it just stays with you. And it really communicates what, what Peter seems to be sharing here in 1 Peter chapter 3. What is the encounter 
with this man called the rich young ruler all about? Well, this is a guy who, who seemed to have it all together. I mean, think about even the way he's described. He's rich. Well, hey, that's great. Don't we all want that? I mean, he's rich. He's wealthy. He's young. Oh, to be young, right? That's a good thing. Rich, young, social media influence. That's what he is, right? Rich, young ruler. He's got some power. He's got a platform. He's got some prestige. People might look at this guy and go, you know what? He's blessed. Man, he is incredibly blessed to be rich, to be young, to be a ruler. I mean, that's a blessed life. Hashtag blessed, you know, great. And yet, as we see in this encounter with Jesus, this rich young ruler who seems to have it all together, he comes to Jesus because there's actually something missing. He's not really sure what it is and He's been trying to live a decent life and, you know, all of, his, all of his posts on social media, they're pretty awesome and people like them and they're fired up about them. And he's been trying to do the right thing. Hey, just for those who don't know, the Bible uh, actually was written several thousand years ago. There was no social media. I just inserted that part right there. That was my take. I just don't want to be, anybody to be confused, okay? But this guy's got something missing. And we see that because he comes to Jesus and... and and he asks a question. And I would say this is really the most important question that anyone could ask. I mean, he's giving us a great example here. He comes to Jesus, rich young ruler, and he says to Jesus, now, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I've got all this stuff and I'm pretty proud of my accomplishments and I'm trying to live a decent life. And I, I'll even show up at church from time to time if I have nothing better to do on a weekend. And I, I want to live a good life. And I, I want people to see the good life that I live. But, but I'm still, I'm not sure if I've done enough. And I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to be good to go when this life is over. And, and there's kind of this emptiness that I feel even with all that I have. And so Jesus, Jesus, can you tell me? What must I do to receive eternal life? And so I love what Jesus does here. He knows this young man's heart. And he knows that this young man has been trying to live a good life. And so Jesus is going to take the ball and put it on the tee. Okay. The swing's about to come, but first he's taking the ball and he's putting it on the tee. What do I mean by that? He's really setting this guy up to, to hear what he needs to hear. And so Jesus says, well, let's talk about the commandments. The commandments are important to live a good life. Do, are you living the commandments? Jesus lists some of the commandments. And, and the rich young ruler's like, hold on, Jesus, Jesus, come on, man. I mean, I'm a moral man. Of course I'm living the commandments. I've been living the commandments since I was a little kid. I've done all that. I'm not talking about morality. I'm not talking about good behavior. I am a well-behaved young man. I live in the Bible Belt South. Again, that's my insert. There's got to be something else. And Jesus goes, oh, oh, <laughs> I've got something. I've got something. If you've done all the commandments, here's something that I would just say. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. 
be a blessing to others, and then come and follow me. That's Mark 10, 21. And then verse 22, it says this, disheartened by the saying, the rich young ruler went away very sorrowful for he had great possessions. What, what is Jesus revealing? What, what has he done as he's put the ball in the tee and now, now Jesus has swung and hit that ball? He's saying to this rich young ruler, I can see your heart. And I know you've done a lot of good things. And I know you're trying to be a moral man. And I know that you equate blessing to the things that you have and the resources that are at your fingertips and the accomplishments of your life. But I want you to know that the things that you have been doing, they're actually all about you. All of those moral deeds, they're actually to build your resume. They're to make you look better in the sight of man. They're, they're, they've all been done so that you can inflate yourself and feel better about yourself. And I'm telling you that the only way you're going to find what you're truly longing for and the only way you're going to be blessed, the way you truly long to be blessed is not when you have all these things of the world and accomplish all these things that you can control. No, it's when you open your hands and you surrender. And you say, none of this has anything to do with me. The blessings of God are to lead me to worship because it's not about me. The blessings of God are, be, are to be used through my life because it's not about me. But the rich young ruler, who we really don't know much more about, it says is disheartened and sad because he's not going to let go of control. And he's got a lot of things and he's not going to surrender. And as a result, he misses out on the greatest blessing that he could have received that was right in front of his face and he walks away. And I just wonder, in, in, in a room like this, with a lot of people who are often trying to do a lot of good things, I just wonder, are there some among us, like the rich young ruler, who have been striving and striving and striving, and yet all of the striving is really just about you? It's really just about you building your resume, just saying, hey, everybody, look at me. Look at how great I am. Look at how moral I am. Look at how decent I am. And as a result, there's still something lacking. Perhaps maybe today God is saying to you, it's time to surrender. It's, it's time to open your hands. It's actually time to receive a blessing that you could never earn or achieve. It's time to receive a blessing that's going to lead you to awe and wonder and worship. It's time to receive a blessing that will actually be a blessing to others. Maybe God's inviting you to trust in what Christ has done. What's going on in your heart? I love what Mark's gospel tells us here. He says, says in Mark 10 that Jesus looked at this man in love. He wasn't looking at this man to condemn him for all the things that he had. He looked at this man and said, look, I know all these things that you have. They're not going to bring you the true joy and fulfillment that you're longing for. So I want you to receive a true blessing. So open your hands and receive a blessing. But the young man, he, 
he walks away. What about you? Have you surrendered or are you holding tight, trying to prove your worth and do your own thing and show all the good that you can accomplish? Is it about you or is it about God at work in you and through you? Let's go back to 1 Peter 3 because in 1 Peter 3 verses 8 and 9, Peter gives us some, some characteristics or qualities that really serve as evidence in the life of, of those who have surrendered their life to Christ, who, who, who said, I want to be a blessing. I, I've received the blessings of God and I want my life to be used for the glory of God. Look at what Peter lists here. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, Bless. Remember, th this letter, we've talked about this uh, several times. If you're new here, it's important to, to know the context of the letter. At the beginning of the letter, chapter 1, Peter says, I'm writing this letter to those who are elect exiles. What does that mean? It means to those who have been chosen by God to be a part of the family of God and have been placed as strangers in a foreign land right where God wants them to live. That's an amazing identity to consider if you are a follower of Christ an elect exile. God has you where he has you for a reason. But it's not so you can just become a part of the culture and blend in with everything else around you. No, it's so that you can live as one who is a stranger in a foreign land. You're there to point to the blessings of God that you have received and invite others to receive the same. That's important to consider. Thanks for that. I'm glad we're together. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, and just so you know, this preacher loves it when you respond. You don't have to be quiet all the time. So feel free at any point to, 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 to get involved. Hey, we're good. Yeah, thank you. My, my wife right now is mortified. She's like, please don't give him the big head. That is so ridiculous. Don't worry. We're getting to humble in mind. It's, it's right here in the text. Okay, so we're, we're going there. We're going there. But all of these characteristics that Peter talks about, they are characteristics that when they are lived out in the life of a follower of Jesus, they stand out. They stand out. They're strange. They're not normal in our culture. They're not normal in our world. You start with unity of mind. Well, of course, we know unity of mind. Are you kidding me? That sounds like a pipe dream. I mean, just in this room alone, we got people from all over different parts of this city. We got people from different backgrounds. We got people from different ethnicities and races. We've got people with many different stories and experiences. How in the world could we possibly all get together and somehow have unity? I'll tell you this, it can't be because it's about us. Something, something we want. It's got to be about something greater. It's got to be about the one who has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. It's got to be because our minds are set on what Christ has done. And as a result, we lay down some of those things that might divide us like preference, selfish ambition, pride. Unity of mind stands out. It is unique. And it's so important to the heart of Jesus that when he knows he's going to the cross in John 17 and prays for his disciples, he prays for unity. He knows it's going to be hard for his body to live in unity. 
And so he prays with passion that his body would live in unity, knowing that a united body of Christ, a united body of believers stands out as strange in a culture that is so fractioned, fractioned, so broken, and so divided. To live with unity of mind. Secondly, though, is sympathy. Sympathy, what is this all about? Well, you could also translate this compassion. Compassion is seeing the needs in others and not just swiping to the next story, but doing something about what you see. It's not compassion to go, oh, I'm so sorry that happened, and then just move on to the next thing. Compassion sees a need and says, I've got to do, I can't live with myself until I've done something about the need. I've got to get involved in the need. I've got to lay down my own my own privilege, my own rights, whatever it may be, to get involved in the need. It's a refusal to bury our heads and, and turn and look the other way when there are needs all around us. Compassion says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an intentional decision to go and to be a blessing in the life of another because to this I have been called. We, we go on through the list. It says brotherly love. Peter is it's just reminding us here that we are a family in the body of Christ. That means the people sitting around you who are also in Christ, they are your brother and they are your sister. So treat them as such. Love them like your family, not like some stranger, not like someone from a different culture. No, we as the body of Christ, we are a different culture. So love those around you as a brother and a sister in Christ, a tender heart, this, this is something, oh, this is something I have been praying about and praying about. God is working on me in this category. He gave me an amazing woman of God 22 years ago to help me with this. He's given me two beautiful daughters to help me with this. You know, the opposite of a tender heart is not just a hard heart. Certainly, a hard heart and a tender heart, those are two very different things. But really, the opposite of a, of a tender heart is it's a selfish heart. Maybe even worse, it could be a bitter heart. Because when we're selfish and when we're bitter, we're refusing to look at the blessings of God that we've received. And I'm not saying we ignore hardship. We're, we're actually going to talk a lot about hardship in this study. That's where Peter's about to take us in chapter 3 and 4. We're going to talk about suffering and, and what that means as a follower of Jesus. And we're, we're going to go there. I'm not, I'm not saying we're to act like everything's going great all the time. But I am saying a follower of Christ is to grow in a tenderness of heart. Because a tender heart pushes out a selfish heart. It pushes out a bitter heart. I had a mentor of mine say to me a couple of years ago that he was praying a specific prayer in his life. He said, the prayer I'm praying is that I would grow tougher on the outside and softer on the inside. I thought, I need to pay attention to what he's saying let me see if I can understand this. And so he started to explain to me, he said, look, I, there are times when things are said to me or done to me and it feels super personal and super painful and I get all riled up 
and I get completely distracted from everything else. And I, and I like, at times he said, I, it's like I want to take offense. Like I'm looking for, for the reasons why I've been offended. And I want to harp in on that. And he said, I'm praying that God would give me a toughness on the outside so that those things that could so easily rile me up or offend me, they just, they don't matter as much anymore because of what God has said about me. And then I'm praying that I'd be softer on the inside because I know, I know that my tendency is to grow selfish, bitter, or angry based on the things that I've experienced or have been done to me or said to me. And I wanna grow to be more like Christ. I don't wanna grow to be more like the enemy of God. You know, Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart. That's Matthew 11. The heart of Jesus is a tender heart towards those in need, but also towards those who have hurt him. It's an incredible thing to consider. How do you view those who have wronged you? Are you growing in tenderness or are you growing in hardness of heart? And then finally, there's the humble mind. This is so important. It's all throughout the word of God that God draws near to the humble, that God hears the prayers of the humble. What is a humble mind? A humble mind is one who is continually growing in their awareness of their need for grace. Because when you are growing in your awareness of your need for grace, there's no way that you can be prideful. But if you feel like, oh, I've already got all the grace I need and I've got this figured out and me and God worked this out a long time ago and now I'm good to go, that actually starts to become self-righteousness. An ever-growing awareness of our need for grace creates a humility of mind because it reminds us of, of how wrong we have been in our sin, how desperate we are for the Savior, and at the same time, it reminds us of what the Savior has done. I love the way Pastor Timothy Keller defined the gospel. He said, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. If you, if you grab a hold of that thought, it will increase humility because at the same time in the good news of the gospel, he says at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why we talk about the gospel over and over and over again, because my mind drifts away from this good news to some self-righteous, arrogant, prideful place. Look at me, look at what I've done. But no, no, the gospel says, oh, oh, God's seen what you've done. And it's more sinful and flawed than, than you're even willing to be honest with yourself about. But at the same time, you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. Focus on what Christ has done. You will grow in humility. These characteristics are to be a blessing to those we encounter. 
Peter's going to give us a little bit more insight here before we wrap this up because he's going to actually quote from a psalm. This is in the Old Testament, Psalm 34. So we look back at 1 Peter 3, verses 10 and 11. This is a direct quote from Psalm 34. Peter says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I think if we went around the room today and we asked the question, how many of you want to love life and see good days? that pretty much everybody's hand would go up. Yeah, I want to love life. That sounds amazing. And I want to see good days. Now, why is Peter quoting from the psalmist here as he talks about this desire to love life and this desire to see good days? It's because Psalm 34 is all about the character of God. It's showing us this snapshot of who God is, that that God is near to the brokenhearted, that that, that God steps in where the needs are great, that that, that God is trustworthy, His, His character is true. In fact, that's what you see right before the verses that Peter's quoting from in Psalm 34. I want to read these to you. Psalm 34, 8 and 9. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, the blessings of God. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. If you want to love life and see good days, you must stop and ask the question, where am I placing my trust? Where am I placing my trust? Am I placing my trust in the one who is truly trustworthy? Am I living with a daily awareness of his blessings for my life? And am I living to share that blessing with those around me? Where am I placing my trust? Are you trusting in your ability and your own control, or are you trusting in the one that knows you better than you know yourself and knows where true blessing will be found? If you desire to love life and see good days, place your trust in the one who is trustworthy above all, the one who desires to bless you in his love for you. And then we'll close with verse 12 here today, First Peter Three, verse 12, which again is a quote from Psalm 34. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We, we need to ask a very important question as we wrap this up. Who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The rich young ruler wanted to know Am I righteous enough? Are the eyes of the Lord going to be on me? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Who are the righteous? Is it, is it those who, who have learned enough and are smart enough and, and they're so smart that they're smarter than everyone else and they're always right and so they're the righteous? Are, are the righteous those who have done enough and they've done more than the people around them and so because of all the things they've done, they're called righteous? Now, that's actually self-righteous. Self-righteousness is actually a manifestation of pride 
And the Bible tells us that pride is that sin that really is the heart of the devil that God will always oppose. In fact, you could even say in verse 12, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, the evil of pride and self-righteousness. So who are the righteous? Well, the righteous are those who have acknowledged how wrong they actually are. The righteous are those who have acknowledged how far their sin has taken them away from what is right. The righteousness are those who through humble repentance say, I cannot clean up my life enough to ever come close to righteousness. I need a savior. As we talked about last week, I need a covering of the one who is perfectly righteous for me. Those who are righteous are those who have received the covering of the righteousness of God through Christ. Those who are righteous know that the blood of the lamb is their only hope. Those who are righteous know they need daily grace. Those who are righteous recognize the beautiful gift of God's blessings that we do not deserve and seek to live in worship of the one who has blessed us and seek to live to share what he has done to bless us because we're so overwhelmed. This incredible gift that has been given to us through a perfect father. The righteous are those who know they will never be righteous on their own, but they are completely dependent on the righteousness of God and Christ. So let me ask you, are you righteous? Be careful how you answer that. If you begin to think about your resume and your accomplishments and how smart you are and all the things you've done, let that be a warning. True righteousness is only found in the one who has perfectly upheld the law and given himself so that we might be covered in his grace and mercy. Are you righteous? Do you want to be? Because you may be here today saying, you know, I, I really feel like I'm more like the rich young ruler. I really feel like I have been trying to do this on my own. I, I want these blessings. I'm not really sure I understand what all that means. I've been trying hard to, to live a blessed life, and yet there's still something missing. Maybe today, maybe today, God is looking at you and he's saying, hey, come, come and be righteous. I, I, want, I want you to experience the true blessing that has been lacking in your life. It's the blessing that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's the blessing that's offered to you. And if you surrender and you trust your life to Christ, you will be blessed by God beyond what anything this life could ever offer and your life, your life will become a beautiful blessing to those because of what Christ has done for you. Maybe you need to receive that today. And if that's you, as we pray right now, you can take this moment and you can say, Jesus, I am ready to receive what you alone can provide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the beauty of your word. And I do pray specifically for those who are joining us today for this message who realize 
that if they were have to, having to stand before God and answer the question, why should I consider you righteous? They might could point to some accomplishments or some material gain or some knowledge. But up until now, they would not have said, because, because I'm in desperate need of the Savior, and the Savior Jesus has covered my life with his righteousness. And so, Lord, if there's any among us today that they've never received that gift, they've never been covered in the righteousness of Christ, they've, they've never received the true blessings of heaven that are ours through Christ, Lord, it is my prayer that today they would say, Jesus, I'm ready to trust you. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to follow you. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I need you. I need you. And we praise you, Lord God, that when, when anyone calls on the name of the Lord with a posture of repentance and, and a heart of brokenness, there is the gift of salvation that awaits there's the gift of salvation that is available. For our God is near to the brokenhearted and our God is trustworthy and all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for this incredible gift of salvation and all the blessings that come to those who receive it. And we pray, Lord God, that we would be a people who seek to leverage our lives to be a blessing to those around us because of what you have done. We worship your name and we are grateful. Use us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.